Stories, fables, ghostly tales. A history teacher gets more than they bargained for from their student's assignment. A terrible story resides in the Balkans, and the story I fear has one foot in reality. Welcome listeners to your terrible tale, and I'm back from a week-long vacation. Miss me? I didn't go anywhere, just chilled at home with pals. Watched a lot of films, both on the couch and at the cinema. Shazam was the first movie I watched, and wow, just brilliant. I had no expectations, but if you want to see an example of a simple story executed perfectly, Shazam is one of them. Highly recommend it. Had me laughing and feeling. Then just recently I watched Avengers Endgame, the three hour long epic. No spoilers I promise. A really enjoyable film. Some strange choices but, altogether, really good. Also played some board games with friends and one of the ones that really stood out was Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> that is so much fun. Anyway, you're here for the stories right? Well I'm here for you. It's great to be back folks. Now, turn the lights off. The sound up, and get ready for something creepy. One of my least favorite parts of being a middle school history teacher is the bullshit living history assignments that we give at the end of every school year. Kids are supposed to sit with their grandparents and videotape, voice record, or transcribe their oldest memories for posterity and for an easy way to bring up their GPA. I've been doing this for 17 years, and when I collected the projects this time around, I assumed they would be as dull if not duller than usual. This had not been a particularly bright class, so I went home, poured myself a glass of wine, and prepared for a long night of I only owned two pairs of pants when I was your age, and... My brother got beat with a newspaper for hitting a baseball into a neighbor's yard. And of course, these projects were peppered with innocent old person comments that were so horribly sexist and racist, you just had to laugh. Now, I had a girl in my class whom I will call Olivia. She was pudgy, quiet, and proved herself a consistent B student. I expected her project to be as unremarkable as her. And perhaps that's why I was so profoundly disturbed by what I witnessed that night. Olivia submitted two discs for some reason, so I began with the one marked interview. My screen hiccuped twice before a grainy image of a living room came into view. The place was a hoarder's hell. Olivia was curled up in an armchair clutching a notebook and looking like a scared animal. Across from her sat a man with a somber countenance smoking a cigarette and staring at her expectantly. Go ahead. A woman's voice whispered from behind the camera. Olivia's owlish eyes flashed towards the screen, then back to the man. I am here with my great-uncle Stephen. She began almost inaudibly. He is going to tell us about his oldest memories from being in the army. Great-uncle Stephen looked like he'd rather be in a goddamn trench at that moment but he waited patiently for the questions to begin. Not surprisingly, Olivia read verbatim from the suggested question sheet I had handed out to the students. 
He answered her curtly. Once or twice I heard her mother whisper, Speak up, Olivia. From behind a camera. Typical boring shit. So I was intrigued when Olivia set down the notebook and asked, Did you like being in the army? That was totally off script. Great Uncle Stephen emitted a chain smoker's wheeze. Nope. Glad to get out of my town, though. Where did you go? Balkans. Uh-huh. She said. I doubted she knew what the Balkans were, and my suspicion was confirmed when she asked, Was Balkis very different from here? Yes. My mum cleared her throat from behind the camera. <clears throat> Perhaps encouraging Great Uncle Stefan to be a little more forthcoming. But Olivia seemed genuinely interested. Uncle Stephen, she asked, what is your very worst memory from the army? The old man crushed his cigarette in the ashtray and then slowly lifted himself out of his chair. I'll be back, he mumbled. The camera cut off. When the screen flashed back on, everything was the same except Great Uncle Stephen had several pieces of paper in plastic sleeves laid atop all the crap sitting on his coffee table. One he held in his hand. I was a kid when I enlisted. He said, looking at Olivia. Your brother's age. He told her. Olivia nodded. I never saw combat. Both of my deployments were to cities in Eastern Europe that had been destroyed by the civil wars. Everything was a mess. I felt like a janitor for fuck- <clears throat> Mum coughed. Great Uncle Stephen sighed and looked at his paper. My unit was assigned to a school that had been obliterated by the violence. Broken windows, caved in rooms, and for some reason, the part that got to me the most was that the school had been like this for years. Before we got there, no one had lifted a finger to fix it. I saw kids walk by on their way to go beg for money or whatever shit they did. The camera dipped down toward the floor, and I heard Mum whisper harshly at Great Uncle Stephen. I couldn't make out what she was saying, but it wasn't hard to imagine. Do you want to hear this goddamn story or not? I heard him bark in response. Then you better let me tell it how I want. Mum... Olivia chimed. Please, stop interrupting. Are you presenting this in front of the class? No, Mum. We're just handing it to the teacher. I'm sure he's heard the word shit before. Great Uncle Stefan contributed helpfully. I wasn't a he, as a matter of fact, but other than that, the statement was accurate. The camera was lifted, and after a couple of blurry focus adjustments, the shot was the same as before. I'm talking too much anyway, he grumbled. He lifted the piece of paper in his hand, close to his face. In the basement, I found this letter. I didn't know what it said, but I had a buddy of mine translate it. So I'm going to read it now. Then I'll tell you what I saw in that basement. A chill ran down my spine. Mum zoomed into Great Uncle Stephen and his letter. 
His palsied hands trembled as he held up the paper. This is what it said. Dear Sir, I never loved my country. So many skirmishes are born from this patriotism. A power struggle for the shards of a once great empire. But I do not care what name my home has on a map. This fighting is senseless, and I stay as far away from it as I can. It was not these attacks and disorganized violence that took the lives of my wife and child. It was illness. Mercifully, it happened quickly for the baby. Nadja suffered for longer. I watched in horror, knowing I could do nothing with them. My only solace is that I was there for them every step of the way. I stopped going to work one day, and no one came after me. I doubt they noticed I was gone. Since the school was simply across a field, visible from my window, it would have been easy to go for a few hours each day and come home quickly to take care for them. But what was the point? All I did was clean floors. I was as useless to the world as I was to my family. I tried to take Naja to the hospital, but the journey was too long and taxing. I brought her home and she died that night. After Naja and the baby were gone, well, I don't remember much. I didn't leave my hovel, barely ate and slept, thought many times of taking my own life. Tempting though it was, I felt paralyzed by my own helplessness. The one thing that kept me sane was my radio. I never turned it off, even though I didn't listen to the words being said. In fact, the channel I got the clearest was in English, I think, which I don't speak a lick of. But the voices, the music, and the true knowledge that life existed beyond this violent city sustained me. I have no idea how much time passed before I saw the light of day again. I was dizzy from hunger, so finding food was my priority. My radio came with me, of course. Since I first hold myself up, it's gone everywhere with me. It talks to me as I sleep and as I wake. I don't know what it's saying, but I know I would die without it. Once I had some water and food, it occurred to me that the only thing left to do was go back to work. So I did. The following morning, I simply returned to the school where I was a janitor and got back to work. Nobody made a big deal out of it. Like I said, Nudge had been sick for a long time, and those who worked at the school knew it. I appreciated that no one had pestered me to come back to work during the hardest days of my life. The teachers never said much to me, but we smiled at each other in the halls and that mutual respect was perhaps the reason I decided to come back at all. The place had gone to the dogs without me, so I simply grabbed my broom and rags from my closet and set to cleaning. Everyone is grateful to have me back, I know. And the best part is that nobody minds my radio. I bring it with me everywhere and keep the volume low enough not to disrupt the students. No one ever complained. In fact, I suspect they liked it. The schoolhouse is not very big but does require a lot of maintenance. The floors are always sticky and stained, so I spend most of my time mopping. Kids make messes, 
I guess that's why I'm still in business. Sometimes I have to move things around and make sure I get every spot on the floor beautiful and clean, but I take pride in that. And the repairs. The school always needs tune-ups here and there. And I'm happy to help. Some days I'm reconstructing a desk that broke as I whistle along with the radio. Other times I handle more serious, structural issues. Days when I have work like this, I feel truly instrumental, like a cog in a larger machine. How could this school survive without me? It took me a long time, but once again, feel that I have purpose. There is a larder behind the school that is full of preserved food. In lieu of payment, I am allowed to take as much food as I need. That arrangement is fine. What would I do with money anyway? I used to bring the food back to my home, just one field away from the school. But when I started sleeping in the basement, no one seemed to notice. This school is special to me, and I cannot leave it unguarded. When I am besieged with memories of my wife and baby, I turn the volume on the radio to drown out such thoughts. It works for me every time. Except this morning. Because this morning, I woke up to dead silence. I frantically examined the radio to see what happened. I honestly cannot tell you how many days in a row I have been using it. Did it simply live out its life and die naturally? I have spent the entire day trying to fix it. Most of this time, I have been crying. I am losing my mind without it. I have given myself until sundown. If I cannot fix it by then, I am going to take my own life. I am writing this because the sunlight is starting to die, and I know what my fate shall be. I have thought of taking one last walk through the halls of my school, saying goodbye to the students and teachers. I know I will be missed, but I cannot bring myself to leave this room. I cannot go anywhere knowing that my radio is dead in here. There are no more tears in me. It feels like I cannot catch my breath. I vomited what little food I had in my stomach, and I am growing dizzy again, like I did after Najah died. I am not long for this world. But before I take my life, I have closed the door to this room and stuck a chair beneath the handle. It is the only room in the basement and has a small casement that lets in just enough light for me to see what I am doing. If anyone is kind enough to come looking for me, they should not be met with this gruesome sight. Perhaps they will see the door is blocked, smell my rotting body and simply forget I ever existed. But I have placed both my radio and this note outside the door. Kind sir, if you are reading this, I have one humble request. Please, fix it. Save my radio. It did not deserve to die in its sleep, and I am ashamed that I cannot revive it. Now I am ready to join Nadja and little Ludmilla in heaven. I hope this school can find another janitor 
who loves and cares for it the way I do. The hour is now. Do not forget my radio. Stanislav. When Mum zoomed back out, Olivia had tears in her eyes. Thank you for sharing, Uncle Stephen, Mum said, her voice choked. I think we've had enough. Wait, Olivia chirped. He said there's more. What did you find? Before Great Uncle Stephen could open his mouth, the image disappeared. My jaw dropped. Was that it? What did Great Uncle Stephen see? I promptly remembered that there was a second disc. This one was unmarked, but I hoped it contained the rest of the interview. There was no video, only audio. The voice that started off was Olivia's. Hi, Miss Scarity. I'm sorry about my mum, but she refused to record the rest of what my uncle was saying. But I asked him to continue and secretly recorded the story as a voice memo on my phone. I remember you said earlier this year that history is written by the people who win wars. She sucked in her breath and commenced crying. But everyone's history is important, even if they are sad, pathetic people, and even if they never won a single thing in their life. I haven't slept through the night since I finished this project, but you have to hear what my uncle has to say. There were tears in my eyes too. The sincerity of her words was beautiful. I was also flattered that she had remembered some trite phrase I threw around because it was what my history teacher said to me. Before I get too sappy over it, the audio began again. Fine, came Mum's frustrated voice. If you want to hear the rest of the story, fine, but this is not appropriate for a school project. Let it finish. Great Uncle Stephen snapped. If it's too much for you, help yourself to a snack in the kitchen, but Olivia wants to know what happened. I heard her mother mumble something and walk away. Olivia and her uncle were alone. I imagined her looking at him expectantly. So did you find the radio? Or did it get ruined when the school got blown up? He rasped, and I heard the distinct click of a lighter. That letter, he began slowly, had a date on it. What date? She inquired hungrily. It was dated two weeks after we started rebuilding the school. Didn't you say the school had been destroyed like two years ago? Yes, replied Great Uncle Stephen. It had been. There was silence as I felt goosebumps on my arms. The images that came to my mind were almost too overwhelming to express. But Great Uncle Stephen put them into words effortlessly. Clearly, he has spent his whole life thinking about it. This man, this Stanislav, went to a vandalized, falling apart schoolhouse and cleaned up blood and rubble like it was spilled drinks and dust. He smiled at dead bodies in the hallways and believed they were smiling back at him because they liked his radio. He moved around corpses so he could sweep the ground under them. The roof was half collapsed, so when it rained, he must have got soaked wet, but was so oblivious that he didn't even feel a thing. I could hear Olivia crying steadily. I found the larder he was talking about. 
It was all pickled preserved food. That probably tasted like shit. Most of the stuff was moldy. Did... did you see the dead body? Yes. Hanging from the ceiling, but still amazingly... lifelike. He wasn't rotting away. This had happened years ago. Did he look peaceful? She asked, a chord of desperation in her voice. Couldn't tell you. The smell was rank in his face, was blue and his eyes were bulging, like this. I imagined him demonstrating. And the radio? Olivia wept. I heard Uncle Stephen take a long drag of his cigarette. It was there, all right. And it was still on. All credit of this story goes to Christine O'Neill, and the story was adapted from a concept by Nicholas Giampetro. Be sure to visit Christine O'Neill's Reddit account. I'll include their link in the show notes. And goodness, I couldn't imagine the psychological trauma Stanislav went through. Good God. And that kid, Olivia, is going to need years of therapy for sure. Especially the part where her uncle imitates the dead guy. Yikes. Poor Stanislav. Losing his daughter, his wife, his mind, and living off moldy preserved food. Got me thinking the stuff that Stanislav was eating probably preserved his body as well. A seriously creepy and sad outcome. Nonetheless, a fantastically written story. And I hope you enjoyed it. A fine story to start off the return of this podcast. Now, if you want to support the show, I mean, simply listening is enough. Thank you very much. But there are other ways. You can hop onto my iTunes page and leave a review. That is one awesome way to do it. Costs you nothing but time, and I appreciate that. I've almost hit the 200 mark on my iTunes page. I'd love to hit that. Just, you know, a rounded number. And I've also gotten some requests for Patreon. So... I went and did it. I set it up. You can find my Patreon at www.patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash S-F-G-T. Nice and simple. I've got a couple of tiers that you can subscribe to to support the show. The first tier is Chamomile Supporter at $1 per month. And I'll be sending you directly my own personal thank you message. The next tier is Censure Supporter at $3 per month. I'll send you your own personal thank you message and a guaranteed shout-out when shout-out episodes are produced. And I will be producing way more of these in the future. And of course, the more patrons I get in this space, guaranteed that I'll do more shout-outs. And as a censure supporter, you'll always be placed at the top. And I'll make sure that you're not missed. And lastly is my Earl Grey Enforcers. At $5 per month. So you'll definitely get a thank you message. Definitely have a spot allotted to you under the Earl Grey Enforcer crew for shoutouts. And lastly, I'll dedicate a 10 to 15 minute episode to you. Publicly thanked by me. And thousands of others will drink tea in your honor. Plus, your episode and your name will be locked in time forever. On the Stories, Fables, Ghostly Tales podcast. Also, I'm super flexible, so if you want me to change a story, 
nominate a story of your own, dedicate it to someone else even. <laughs> Just have a chat to me and we can work it out. If you're not happy, we can change it and manipulate it. Like I said, I'm easygoing and here for you guys and gals. And I'll also be looking at ways to expand this tier and the other two tiers as I go along. If you don't think I'm offering enough, by all means, let me know. If you have ideas on what you'd like to see in those tiers, again, let me know. Open to feedback, of course. Every dime that you send my way goes back into improving the podcast. So what does that mean, improve the podcast? It means new mic, paying authors for their work. I really want to get that going. Bringing in new authors, and depending on how much I can get per month, a spin-off podcast series where I'll just focus on creating a 10-episode podcast that me and you, the audience, can craft together. We can discuss ideas, and I can work with you, the listeners, on what you'd like to see as a plot or a theme in a custom set of stories. I've worked with a lot of narrators, and I'd love to pay them for their work. This could be a great avenue to have some unique stories and unique talent brought to your ears. And, because of you, we can make it happen. So if it does pick up and I do get a lot of patrons, I've got a goal system on Patreon that explains what I'm trying to achieve at each level of patronage. But I won't take up your time explaining that. If you can visit patreon.com forward slash sfgt and take a look, that'll give you an understanding of where I want to take this. For those of you wondering if I'm going to bring out some ads because of a lack of patronage, never will I ever <laughs> bring ads into this podcast. At least not inside or in between the stories. No way. The last thing I want to do is have a horror scene set up, and then suddenly I start selling you mattresses, or food to cook, or candles to buy, snapping you out of the experience altogether. I'd hate it, so why would I do it to my audience? I wouldn't, that's the answer. So Patreon is a way of pushing ads even further out of my mind and reforging the podcast with new stories, new authors, and building a vision together. And if you haven't got any spare change to throw my way, no stress. If you can share this podcast with some friends, that's awesome as well. I appreciate any support you show the podcast. This week, I'm going to ease myself in, folks. So this Wednesday, I might focus on rituals, either in story or in history. We'll see how we go. Have yourself an amazing night or a brilliant day, and I'll catch you Wednesday. As always, till we meet again.